Welcome to the Royals Investment Fund Podcast, where we meet with professionals in the business and investing world. Like you, we want to gain insight and advice from seasoned individuals regarding their careers, investment choices, and other life recommendations. Through this podcast, we interview a variety of business leaders and experts, learning about both their achievements as well as their failures and why they were able to be so successful. This podcast is designed to help you. You are someone with a curiosity in business who wants to learn more and find out what intrigues you most within the business world. I invite you to join us while we explore a multitude of industries and talk with people who have already experienced this journey. I'm your host, Tony Harris. Now let's begin our journey. On this episode, I was able to chat with one of our very own professional directors, Lucas Bunting. Lucas is a Bethel graduate, and during his time at Bethel, he was highly active in the various business clubs that Bethel has to offer. He is one of the founders of the Royals Investment Fund, and is a member of the CFA Institute, from which he has received his certification in all three levels. I would now like to invite Lucas to the show to talk about his current position as a quantitative equity analyst at Mars and Power and his strategy on investing. Well, Lucas, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be a guest on your show and uh, looking forward to chatting. Awesome. Well, can you tell me a little bit about your position as a quantitative analyst at Mars and Power and along with that, how you got into that position? Yeah, sure. So I graduated from Bethel in December of 2015. And uh, I walked across the stage on, I think, Friday the 18th. Um, I, I pushed really hard in school to get the most out of it. And I ended up, you know, with a good GPA and class rank. But it really came at a large sort of mental and physical cost. And then, you know, starting a job right after that, um, you know, I, I always try to tell people, you know, negotiate a later start date if you can, if they're trying to get you right after, um, right after you graduate. Anyways, I, I, I dove right into the Wells Fargo in their private bank on their investment team. And it was a great place to learn. It was fulfilling work. You got to work directly with um, clients and your, and you got to meet the people who you were impacting with your work. And, um, and, uh, and I owe a lot of that to a previous guest of yours, Dean Junkins. He uh, helped me um, with the interview process there and, uh, and, and the continued mentorship after that. Um, you know, after a couple of years there, I, I, um, I was kind of getting my CFA at the same time and uh, passed a couple levels, but then an opportunity pre- presented in- itself to go to a company called Mars and Power, where I am right now. It's Minnesota's oldest um, privately owned investment firm. It was started in the 1930s and is uh, still around today. It's got a really good performance track record, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of the first uh, quantitative analyst there, and uh, and we can dig into that a little bit more later, but um, that's that's where my career path is, and where I uh, think it will be in the next couple of, uh, years. That's wonderful. And did you did you always know that that's what you wanted to do right out of college, or I mean, was this something that kind of came up throughout your years? How how did that look for you? Yeah, I mean that, that's a great question. I think I think more than anything, I just kind of got lucky. Um, 
you know, I was actually going to go into school as a marketing major. I think I declared before en- entering a, as a marketing major like you. And, uh, and, and honestly, the person who changed it, like my parents were supportive, you know, no, it, nothing there. Um, the person who changed my mind was actually, we were sitting down uh, at our kind of bank branch and stuff. I was just tagging along with my parents when I was uh, getting ready to go to college. And, and uh, he's like, so where are you going to go into? And I said, I said marketing and you know this was kind of when like the financial crisis was still kind of fresh in everybody's minds and and the guy's like yeah well you know you you might want to look in finance because those are the last those are the last people to go when things get bad and stuff and I'm like okay well I'll look into finance I like math and stuff and I started taking a couple courses and I liked it right and uh, and then I just tried to pick a career path that I thought was fun and and that was investments right it was the the world changes every day. There's, um, there's kind of winners and losers. I'm a little competitive and, uh, that, and then just kind of the way that the capital markets worked, worked, I always thought was, um, interesting. And, you know, you could spend an entire career there and not know everything about it. So kind of the, the depth that was there all attracted uh, me to it. And then as I got into the real world, I just realized that, yeah, no, it's uh, it was a good fit and I got lucky. I chose correctly and, and, and that's it. Um, and, and even then I, I was in the industry, but I was in the private wealth part of it. I, I still like it, but I think I like the asset management, the research side a little more. So even, even then I still had to adjust a little bit, but, um, you know, uh, I still like to think that I, I, I just got lucky more than anything. And, you know, students aren't really sure what they uh, want to do going into, uh, going into the real world and, and they just kind of guess and, and it isn't good for some people and some it's great. So I really feel bad for those um, people who have a bad experience out of the shoot, but it, it gets better. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of talking a little bit about the investment industry and, and your experience diving into it. And obviously it's a very complex, diverse industry with so many different things going on. And uh, you mentioned, you know, not necessarily going into it thinking you're going to be a quantitative analyst. Um, but you've talked to me a little bit about your algorithm that you you've used uh, to buy stocks. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? And then, you know, what are some of the main items you look for when investing into a company? Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll actually an- answer that second question first. So, um, you know, quantitatively, we have a traditional multi-factor model that helps us distill our core philosophy of Mars and Power's investment strategy. And we, what we try to do is we kind of boil it all down into one number, which is a ranking one to 10 um, for any individual security. It's not perfect, but it can, it can be very handy when screening 4,000 securities every day. And the performance hasn't been all that bad either. I launched the, the model at the beginning of 2019 and the top ranked securities outperformed the S&P 500 by 5% this year. The last time I checked, which was earlier this week, it was outperforming by about 7%. So um, now can that continue? Maybe, maybe not, but it's good to see some of that early success. Um, but you know, really to answer that question, that model looks for companies that generate high economic profits and, and assumes they have, you know, some sort of competitive advantage in there and that the earnings are high quality and the valuation is attractive. We, we tried to pick a couple factors that really got at that type of company. We put them together 
and um, we try to make a ranking out of them. So what that does is it, it helps us leverage um, the the other part of our business, the fundamental research, which there are there are no um, real uh, scaling benefits in that part of it. It's just kind of you got to slog through it. You got to go through. Um, the, the financials, you got to talk to the sell side, you got to talk to the company management. It's just hardcore research. And to be able to have something that will tell us most likely where uh, that time will be best spent is what, that, what, is what that model does. Now, we also do have algorithms, as you said. Um, there's nothing in deployment right now, but um, I'm currently uh, researching uh, an algorithm to help us predict things. Um, so it's not going to trade for us. We're not that type of investor. I think our average holding period is something around 15 years, uh, which is very, very, very long. Most, most shops kind of have a six to one year, a six month to one year uh, time horizon. But, um, but anyways, what our algorithm does is help us make better predictions and aid in the valuation and idea generation that our other model does. So um, right now I'm trying to predict when the one year consensus estimate is likely to be wrong, like either, and then kind of um, pick the direction of that error, right? Or is it going to be, is the, is the estimate for next year going to be too high um, or is it going to be way too low? Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're, we're trying to use algorithms to help us make a lot of predictions on a lot of names so that we can then leverage that information to, um, to take whatever investment manager's time is and make sure that uh, they, they're spending their time in the most efficient way. That's very interesting. You know, I guess yeah. kind of a follow-up question off of that. Obviously, you have all of these different models that help you predict um, you know, where, where a company might go, but when you're investing, what for you is kind of that ultimate decision maker that's like, yeah, we're going to invest in this or no, like this isn't for us. Do you have something specifically that, you know, kind of gives you that idea of like, we're going to do this or not? Yeah. And, and I, I would say, you know, it's multifaceted, but I, I think the two main points are, you know, is this a great company? Like, is this a company that is going to have a competitive advantage for our time horizon? So for the next 15 years, that's really hard to tell, right? The, the world changes really quickly. And so we monitor that. But um, that needs to be one criteria. Is it, is it historically been very good? And do we see a good path forward? And then the other part is, in, and I'm sure you've heard this before, not all great companies make great investments. Sometimes it's just the, you can only get the equity for a very, very high price. And to us, that just doesn't make that much sense. There's, there, you know, there's only so much space before you hit that ceiling um, from a valuation perspective. So if, if a stock at its core, if, if a stock does not meet both of those criteria, if it's not a good company or if we can't get it at a good price, then, then we'll turn away from it. If it's screaming yes on both of those, then we'll start looking at it and just um, you know do our due diligence, and then we'll add it to the portfolio. That makes sense. Yeah. What um, what do you find to be the most difficult part about your job in a quantitative analyst position, and how do you navigate through that? Yeah. So um, 
on, on the quant side. So I do actually have two uh, responsibilities. I do, I do actually do both quantitative and fundamental. So I do the actual, you know, hardcore research and then I do the more quantitative research on the side. And I, I'd say, you know, on the quant side, the, the hardest part is just um, staying up to date and, and um, uh, just on the, on the methods that you're using, right. And, and making sure that that's the best uh, approach to be tackling this problem or that problem. Um, the, the world of machine learning uh, especially is just riddled with, with academic notation and you really do have to, and I, I don't have a math background, so that's stuff I all had to learn, um, you know, kind of along the way. And, um, you know, you really do take for granted your professors who can throw a formula up there and then explain it to you like a normal person what that means, right? I think a lot of people would would not know um, the uh, kind of academic um, notation for weighted average, but we all know what it is, right? It would just it just looks pretty complex when when um, uh, when it really isn't uh, that complex of an idea, so. Um, you know, a point in favor for the professors for distilling that sort of stuff. So, so that part is difficult. And then, uh, you know, um, I would also say kind of just getting all the data together. Data is so expensive to get if you want it nice and clean. It's either expensive when you pay for it and you get the perfect product, or it's expensive because you have to allocate resources, i.e. me, <laughs> um, to go out, scrape websites, go find um, you know, this data source, try to, you know, get this cheaper, whatever it is, build the data pipeline between, um, you know, your model and that data set. And then at the end of the day, make sure that it's useful to the model that you're looking at and to be able to maintain all that. I'm a one man uh, effort here. So that's, I, I'm the end to end process. And I mean, there, I, there are teams of like a hundred people doing, um, you know, what I'm doing. So I can only do it at a very high level. Right. So I would just say, you know, that academically it's challenging. Um, and then, uh, just kind of the, the breadth of things that you have to be good at is, is challenging. Um, and then on the, on the fundamental side, I'd say that just the difficult difficulty of that is that when the markets are open, you're on, um, but news is even released at night. Um, so it's really, really hard just from a, a work-life balance sort of thing to, to um, disconnect from work when you know that the world just keeps spinning and it impacts what you're investing and therefore impacts the the clients that you're responsible for. So um, that can be that can be a challenge and that can be enough of an off-putting thing for a lot of people to to never join the industry and just pay someone else to do it for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of that, how do you balance, you know? work and life. I, you know, I was talking to you and Andrew yesterday a little bit about it. And, um, obviously you said it's very important to you, but, but how really, how do you balance it? And, and along with that, what, what role does faith play into your career? Yeah. So it's a good question. Um, you know, the way I think about it is that it's more harmony than balance. And, you know, before I share my framework, let me just be clear about one thing, you know, the amount of work and life you will have is likely you need to have, um, you know, with your significant other, with your family, whatever the stakeholders are in your life. Um, Y'all need to realistically evaluate what's fair and hold each other accountable to that agreement, even when it gets tough. Um, You know, it's just too easy to let work take over your life, especially uh, in the early parts of your career. 
if you're not intentional about the decisions that you make. So anyways, back to kind of the work-life harmony, there are two things I think about when it comes to answering this question. I have the long-term perspective of your entire career and then the short-term sort of year-to-year, month-to-month, day-to-day implications of your life. So in your career, you have, um, you, you can likely devote more to work, more time to work than to life at the beginning of your career uh, when you're trying to prove yourself, right? And then somewhere in the middle, you you will make this decision where you can either stay operating at that high level and try to chase whatever opportunity is in front of you, or you can choose to start backing off a little to devote more time to yourself, uh, to to life, to um, you know other other things that you care more about, right? Like you're going to have to be able to get away from work to go to your kid's soccer game or um, to go to, uh, to start up this new hobby or whatever that you're doing, or maybe you have another company in mind, a nonprofit, whatever it is. Toward the end of that career, you, you do usually start working less. You, you do see a lot of people just kind of coming in a little later and leaving a little earlier because they see the end, the end is near, right? They, they want to get on with the rest of their life while they're still healthy and still good. And that makes a lot of sense, but that really isn't a straight line. Sometimes work demands more one day. Um, you know, this could be for a couple days, maybe a week or a year. Right. Uh, and that's why it's important to have that discipline, but you know, it's, it's just best to take it one day at a time and to have people around you. Um, to, to be able to, to keep you accountable to the things that you promised them. Um, you know, in terms of faith, it's, 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 it's always difficult leaving the Bethel bubble and then going in and, and doing that. Uh, in, in some places, talking about faith will get you a one-way ticket to the HR, um, you know, space or whatever. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's honestly best to be a little cautious there. Uh, you do have to realize that we live in a world where Christianity has a lot of baggage with it. Uh, not a lot of people are, um, are cool with that idea. And, and, uh, and I learned that pretty quickly because, <laughs> and this is, this is a great story. So there was this, there was this, um, man, he, uh, one of my best friends at, at, uh, Wells Fargo, and uh, it was my first week on the job, and obviously it was December 22nd, so I said, hey, you know, Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next week and stuff, and he's like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm not Christian, I'm Jewish, and, the, <laughs> and then he just proceeded to give me a, you know, a hard time about that and all that stuff, and, and, and he's just laughing because he, he, I'm just so green. I'm, I'm red in the face, right? I'm just sweating, and I'm just like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't even realize that I've spent four years at Bethel, and everybody's you know it's just uh it just kind of slips your mind and you don't really think about it and uh um and and so you just kind of learn fast where you do just kind of go with the with the norms and stuff um and then uh then and then community um like like at your church or through groups or whatever you have just becomes that much more important because you don't get a daily dose of it every day in your life so i think there's this shift of just having it all, you're always around it. You're always in it. Um, and you're always thinking about it. It's easy to think about it. And then your world becomes almost dichotomized as soon as you uh, kind of leave, as long as you're not in a faith-based institution. And then, um, and then it becomes something that you have to, again, be more intentional about. So uh, for me, it's, it, it was, it was more of a change, but it was, it was something that I was able to learn and grow through when, when it's not being forced down your throat every day, you really learn what's, what's important to you. 
Absolutely. Definitely comes down to intentionality at the end of the day and trying to control, you know, how much you want to grow in your faith. Um, you know, kind of on a different note, thinking about students looking to become a financial analyst in, in some aspect, what are your, your biggest recommendations to them and kind of what steps do you recommend that they try to take to become a financial analyst? Yeah, you know, so piggybacking off of what we were talking about earlier, um, I think it's important to take a little time, like don't dive into something right away unless you absolutely have to. Um, And a circumstance that you would absolutely have to is like, you're an international student and your visa like (laughs) is going to like expire unless you go to grad school type of thing. Like that's, that's kind of like the, um, the, the fund had a TA that was, that had that situation. Right. So it made a lot of sense for him to just go right into it. Um, uh, but I I would just take a time, you know, it takes some time. I, I took, uh, I took about six months to make sure that I wanted to do the CFA, um, before I actually kind of like signed up and really got serious about studying. Uh, and I think that was, I think that was on the shorter end, you know, I'd just make sure that you really, really like something. And if you don't like something, be okay with waiting a a while, um, until you find something you do like, and then you explore kind of the steps there. Right. Um, so make sure you, you like the, the, um, finance world. And if you do, if you like the investments world, um, you kind of have two paths you have, um, if you want to do research, if you want to be an asset management, right. If you want to be buying and selling securities or, um, coming up with investment strategies, then your best path is going to be through the CFA charter. It's a series of three difficult tests, but you can study for them at your own pace. And back when I took them, levels two and three were offered only once per year and level was offered twice per year. In the future, they are doubling the number of times that you can take that test. And that takes a lot of pressure off you and makes the test a lot easier. Um, it, it, just because that pressure is off. I I don't think, um, I think you still got to know the same stuff, but you know, some people just don't perform well under pressure. And so I think it makes it the test more approachable that way. If you want to, um, stay on the fundamental side of, of asset management, the CFA might be all you need with a little, you know, Excel proficiency and some experience, you know, cutting your teeth as an associate somewhere. And, and uh, that, you know, that just ups, updates models and grabs the donuts on Fridays. But on the quant side, if it can be beneficial to consider, you know, tacking on a computer science degree or minor. Um, I know Andrew uh, Walker, my co-director, he, that will, I'm sure will be a future guest here. Um, he w- was a computer science, I think, minor. And, you know, you tag that onto your finance degree and, and, and I think that will pair well. Um, you know, that with the CFA and some experience working with big data will get you a decent job uh, and, and, and probably a little bit more flexible job, too, since you have that sort of data science uh, tangent there, too. That opens you up to a lot of different other industries as well. If you're looking to do literally anything else in the business or finance world, the CFA is probably not going to be worth it. Um, and, and so if you're going to do like wealth management in the investment world, then you'll want to get the CFP because that's very valuable. It's a, it's a great industry to be in. Um, and, and that's more of like what I did at Wells Fargo, where you get to talk with the clients and you get to, and you know, the people that you're actually impacting. It's, it's super fulfilling work work. If you're going to do anything else in finance, I would do an MBA or a master's in finance or a master's in data analytics. I mean, 
any of those will, will get you to where you, where you want to be. Um, if, if you want to keep, uh, you know, chugging along, if you're, if, if undergrad was the end of the line for you, that's cool too. You can, finance is a great place to be and you can just work your way up the career ladder. Um, my guess is though a lot of us will find some sort of alternative method of, of education after we graduate, whether that's a formal, uh, uh, master's level program or a charter or a certificate and, and something as well. It really is amazing how many positions there are in finance at, at every level. Uh, quite incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of why I like finance in general, just to cut you off really quickly. <laughs> um, right. It's just that it, it's kind of, it's kind of a defensive play, right? Every company needs a finance department. So if you're good at finance, and, but you're interested in something other than finance, you can go work for a company that does that. You're going to be using your finance skills. Hopefully you're good at that, right? But you can go do whatever you want, right? You can go work for Titleist if you like golf, right? You can go, um, you know, work for Tesla if you like cars. Uh, you can work anywhere. And I think that's a really cool aspect of, of the finance world. Yeah, to your point, I mean, I'm, I'm marketing and finance and, you know, I, I like them both. Um, marketing seems to call me a little bit more, but being able to eventually use my finance background in a marketing position will be awesome. I, I think the combination of those two is way more powerful than it was even five years because they like almost automatically now they're also kind of like data people as well. So it, it they like understanding how to go to market with the data that you have analyzed or had someone else analyze for you is a, a great critical thinking skill. Yeah. So if you could go back to yourself while you were here at Bethel, what piece of advice would you give yourself or wish that someone had told you while you were at Bethel? I made plenty of mistakes here. I'm sure I could have benefited from plenty <laughs> uh, of people's advice, but, uh, you know, I kind of have like a positive comment here and probably maybe a little bit more sobering comment. And so let's end on a good note. I'll start with the more, uh, um, somber advice here. So, you know, and this is going to sound a little irreverent. Um, I think I could have saved myself a lot of pain in my life by just lowering my expectations of other people <laughs> and the decisions that they make. Um, you know, look, to a certain extent, it's not going to matter, you know, how hard you push for something, you know, asking a colleague for something, you know, asking a third party for whatever. Sometimes, you know, other people just have other agendas and you can just <laughs> lose yourself in, uh, if you think something's more important or you think that they also will think that your priorities are high priority for them. You know, sometimes life just isn't fair and you can't achieve certain goals because others are just trying to push those, um, you know, other agendas at the expense of what may be right for the company, too. It might be an ethical thing uh, for for you to have to kind of wrestle with a little bit, too. Um, if you haven't taken finance, then that's what uh, I, I believe uh, um, Holland still has us wrestle with stuff like that. That very much happens in the real world. Um you know, by adjusting your mindset to really, you know, expect that sort of crap will, will save you a ton of time, pain and confusion in the long run. And, and what it will also do is, is set you up to be surprised when good things do happen to you, right? You, that becomes really, really powerful because it puts you in a position of gratitude, um, which you can leverage to do even more 
and, um, and, and just feel good about the work that you're doing. That's, that's the real point. It's not so much, I, you know, other people suck. It's, it's really like, if you lower the expectations, you can really, really benefit from that uh, by um, putting yourself in that position of being just really thankful for other people, even if they're just doing their job, because they probably got a lot of other stuff going on too. So relaxing assumptions of other people is going to help you out a lot. The more positive thing I wish I would have understood better is, you know, coming out of Bethel, you'll be behind on some of the technical skills unless you have a major in something that's like that. But while critical thinking skills are far and away more valuable in the real world. And while I was at Bethel, I was always, I always felt a little behind on the technical side of things, you know, especially investments related. We only had, you know, one or two classes that was uh, that were around that, um, but some of my peers, and it's, and it's better now for sure, but, um, you know, some of my peers took, you know, several valuation courses, they got deep into derivatives, they knew about all these different markets and all of these, you know, different ideas. And, but guess what? Technology automates technical roles. Business leaders solve complex problems that are too intangible to be done by someone with a technical background or software uh, at all. So, the advice would be to celebrate the liberal arts education that you receive at Bethel and lean into it because it's durable. It sets you apart in a good way. And you really need to start playing to those advantages because your whole world is going to open up once you do and don't ever apologize for it. I love that. Definitely motivating for me to hear. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of people will appreciate that advice because I do think I completely agree with you. Um, you know, going through Holland's finance, um, the amount of critical thinking that goes into that and ethical decision making is, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it already and, and people keep telling me how much I'll use that in the future. So absolutely. I completely agree. Well, Lucas, thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it and uh, the time that you gave me and uh, I look forward to chatting more in the future and I know our listeners are going to love to hear this. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was it was a lot of fun. Good to talk to you as well. And and thanks again for doing this. I've, I've loved listening to these, so um, keep it rolling. Now you got to hear a little bit about Lucas Bunting and his role as a quantitative equity analyst at Mars and Power. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To learn more about the Royals Investment Fund and what we do, you can go to our website at www.bethelroyalsfund.com. Follow us also on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm your host, Tony Harris, and I'll see you next time.